everyone back again. Today we're going to start a two-parter on Guy Debord's the Society, the Society of the Spectacle. Now, before jumping into it, hi, I'm David. I explain philosophical co concepts and ideas and ways to make them accessible to you. So if you're new here, like, share, subscribe. You'll see videos are released every single week, sometimes twice a week. If you found this on YouTube, you're going to be able to find it on any podcast platform where there shouldn't be any ads. And you can just listen to it. And that's great. People have told me I have a soothing voice. Maybe it can help you sleep if you struggle to sleep. If you want to help me out, like, share, subscribe, do all those things, that'd be great. You can help me out monetarily via Patreon or PayPal, but no pressure to do that. And uh, yeah, let's jump into this difficult text. You know, it looks, it's a small text. You know, you look at it like, oh, I could read that easily. And then you start and you're like, no, 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 no. I got to take this real slow. And the way that it's organized very much, well, like the phenomenology of spirit, it's like every paragraph is itself its own thesis, something to take in. So yeah, let's jump into Guy Debord's The Society of the Spectacle, starting with chapter one. Now, throughout the course of this, these episodes, I'm going to make some reference to Baudrillard's work just because you can, you can't not. You must understand this with Baudrillard in mind. Now, I guess it's not totally necessary, but it's just they're so close in their perspectives that it's hard to um, it's 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 hard to ignore. Now, starting with chapter one, separation perfected. So he starts out by saying that the spectacle society or the society of the spectacle he is referring to is one with modern conditions of production where a world is created apart from reality and that belongs to the autonomous movement of the non-living. And that, okay, this is a very charged statement here. And in order to understand what he's saying here, we have to understand Marx to some extent and the idea of living versus non-living labor, where living labor refers to actual humans doing work. Non-living labor or dead labor refers to machines that humans have created or tools that have been created through human labor, i.e. through human exploitation, but that, you know, the humans are no longer there, but the products of their labor remain that are being used. Now, this is important throughout the course of this text because the ball is going to advocate for a workers' council, uh, a kind of Marxist solution to the problem of the spectacle. So when he says that the spectacle, as I just did, refers to or belongs to the autonomous movement of the non-living, he is setting the stage for us to understand this in Marxist terms, where the spectacle being attached to the modern form of production under capitalism, the spectacle is attached, therefore, to exploitation under capitalism. So as separate from reality, the spectacle occupies a unique space for observation. It unifies in the way that it encourages homogeneous observation and the common ground of the deceived gaze and false consciousness. So he suggests that the spectacle as being a product being attached to modern forms of production, it is homogenous and it is homogenizing. That is when people enter the realm of the spectacle. And here we can think about it really as, for now, think about it as like televisions, as viewing 
as going to forms of entertainment that are like big budget type things and not just immediate almost spontaneous eruptions of like um communal joy in like a carnival type setting or something you know as being these things in which different people who have no attachment to one another come together don't talk to one another and then leave this is very much indicative of a spectacular world for uh the ball so in this system in the spectacle people are reduced to their status as observers that is under the spectacle it only allows a one-way form of communication when you watch a movie in a movie theater you aren't talking to people around you in fact that's very much discouraged and you are not talking to the people on screen you are being spoken to likewise with like the radio and so what the system will do will it it will try to inject some kind of false cooperation for the ball he would identify that this would be a kind of false cooperation like with uh, radio shows that are like, oh, call in and give your five seconds of input at, at, on this like very difficult issue, which is just a false way to encourage or to make it seem as though people still have a say and can participate in this world. So, I you know I said that this is we can think about this like televisions like going to a movie, listening to the radio, whatever, but it's not reducible to images. The spectacle that the ball is referring to is a much broader phenomenon that extends much beyond just screens, essentially. For him, it is characterized by a social relation among people that is mediated by images. Now, as we will come to see throughout the course of this text, is that these images are not necessarily, on, like I said, on screens. They can be like propaganda images, like in Nazi Germany, where people would have a relationship to one another through these, like, this massive propaganda machine that would unite people with images of uniting, like, German people against Jewish people, at the same time caricaturing, encouraging violence against Jewish people by depicting them in a certain way. And this is actually afforded by the Society of the Spectacle for the Ball. And he's not, I'm using this example, this isn't his example. Of course, anti-Semitism extends far back, uh, way before capitalist relations of production. But I think that the way that he would analyze this is to say that Nazi Germany really picked up on this trend or this emergence of the spectacle in order to take advantage of it and to peddle their anti-Semitic agenda. Very much still something that continues to this day with anti-Jewish sentiment really being on the rise in so many parts of the world. Sentiment. I mean, that's a way to whitewash it. Violence being, uh, and propaganda being really emerging and um, sprouting up all over the place. But anyways, the spectacle allows such horrors to occur or it facilitates them because it reduces people to images, to the status of images. And so you don't actually have a relationship with other people where you can talk to them and get to know them. Your relationship to them is mediated by images images that are constructed of them and that stand in for them. So because the spectacle reflects is a product of the modern form of production under capitalism, it actually reflects those same social relations where under capitalism, people are separated. I mean, people are 
sent off and you know they go to live out in the suburbs they never talk to their neighbors they just kind of live in isolation this is the capitalist dream you know and it has its history as well with like the cowboy type figure in the united states of course like living off the land in isolation no one screws with you i mean you just don't tread on me type things and then of course if you need medical help then suddenly you you need uh <laughs> you need people's help but the dream being or the idea being that you just live in total isolation all on your own and this is very fostered in the system and we see it play out in the society of the spectacle like when people go to the movie theater and don't talk to one another and people go out you know and don't talk to one another they'll sit on their phones you know they'll try to just retreat always retreat into their private individualized lives but the spectacle is also useful for capitalism in that it provides a zone uh, of ostensible gratification away from the harms of capitalist society and the exploitation found within it so the spectacle is a way to ostensibly or to um you know uh, ostensibly escape from the capitalist system and to enjoy life at least this is the idea that it sells people so that they could then recharge their batteries and go back to work the next day now so in this way between the spectacle and the, these modern forms of production and this modern form of production there is a give and take relationship here they very much depend on one another and if we look back to previous marxists before De Ball, like with Louis Althusser, for example, or Gramsci, they were very clear that capitalism depends upon various institutions in order to normalize it, to normalize its relations and to normalize its exploitation. And the spectacle here fulfills this job. The spectacle informs reality and reality absorbs the spectacle to lend it cohesion. So what he says is that objective reality is present on both sides so when you see that the, the spectacle and the social relations that it fosters actually mirror those of everyday life under capitalism then it lends it a degree of coherence for people participating in it people are like oh of course i mean of course i see violence on the screen my life is all like violence it's it's all i know or i see i go to the movie theater and don't talk to anyone because I'm really just a working robot. I'm not supposed to have community or feelings or anything like that. And so this is why things like community and community participation are in themselves a type of resistance to this system. He doesn't really get into that, but I think it's not, you know, it's it's not a far cry from what he's saying here. So in the spectacle because it tries to represent human life what it reveals itself to actually be doing is negating human life because the spectacle as images because it reduces people to images and suggests that people can be represented in images what that actually does is severely diminish what it means to be human specifically for Debole, which means to have like an individual uh, attachment to the world to reality connected with other people because that's what we need to do to survive I mean the only reason any of us are here right now that I'm talking and that you're listening is that our ancestors were better at cooperating than other people's ancestors there is no <laughs> you know you look back far enough in your family chain 
the people who went off on their own to live in the woods were not the ones that that made it the ones who made it were the ones that stuck with their group now because of that if we reduce people to the status of these asocial atomized separated individuals as the spectacle does we see then a fundamental negation of what it means to be human what it means to live it is to focus and really its focus is on the positive it tries to whitewash everything it tries to make the world seem more glossy and digestible and to make everything seem great even in its negation of life so we can't just oppose the spectacle and this is very much the dream and the illusion that some people submit to when they're like oh i know what to do i'll just go live off the grid and so they take their phones with them and they go live in the woods and they record everything and post it to TikTok and let everyone know that they're living in the woods. Now, this doesn't work precisely because this is submitting to an idea about what it means to be human that is antithetical to what Debal is saying here. Because to do so actually participates in this capitalist dream of like living on your own, separate from the system, being your own, thinking and doing individual, not relying upon anyone else. When all that is doing is feeding this system, it's participating in the very kind of individualization that the economic system depends on, and so does the spectacle. And so to actually oppose the spectacle demands much more than just fleeing out into the wilderness, into nature. It demands also going after and challenging the very modes of production upon which the spectacle rests. So in order to tackle the spectacle, you must tackle both. The spectacle is the image for Debal. It is the image of the ruling economy. You can't oppose it without opposing that economy. Now, the spectacle is not accidental. Like, it is clear, as I've made it clear, I think, it is attached to this form of production. It is indispensable with our economic system. It plays an integral role in normalizing this system and rationalizing it and all of the objects it produces, including the social relations that it fosters. While the first stages of the modern economy subordinated, subordinated, subordinated being to having, its developed form even subordinates having to appearing. So at the earliest stages, he suggests that whereas in previous epochs, uh, I, he says that this is interesting, he says that touch was, was prioritized uh, in the spectacle, we find that sight is prioritized. And there's actually a point in McLuhan, which would have been a little before this, I think. McLuhan makes the point in describing different kinds of media to say that there was once a point in which the ear, people's ears was much more important, like for survival, than their eyes. Because ears are what lets you know if there's a beast coming up behind you or, you know, whatever. You know, there's, if there's a wolf going to get you, whereas your eyes are much more narrow. But in a different system where people uh, organize themselves differently, eyes are much more important. And we see that play out here. And Debal is saying that here we have subordinated having things to appearing. And we all strive for it. I am certainly victim to this as well. It feels good to be seen. It feels good for people to confirm you in your identity in this world and what it does is it makes it seem as though this is a world that is okay to live in if you just attain the right amount of like fame 
when in fact this fame is dependent upon rampant exploitation not just of, not of the people being uh, made famous but all the labor that has to go on underneath that fame being made possible in itself so for de ball and mcluhan you know we're not you know the yeah mcluhan <laughs> sight is the sense that opens us up to abstraction and is the opposite of dialogue and here we can think you know there's so many different things we can think here you know we can certainly find some resonances of this idea going all the way back to the greeks where plato is critiquing like memorization over spontaneous immediate uh, communication where he was critiquing reading over writing or reading over um, and writing over direct immediate speech so we, see, we can certainly see that kind of Platonism play itself out here, where de Ball says that concrete life has been degraded into a speculative universe. Now, but because we know the spectacle is tethered to modern production, it connects us to the world in abstraction. So we find our connections not in the real world, but online, where we make our communities, but in the types of shows that we like to watch. Like, this is something I do and something I'm sure many people do, like if you meet someone new, you want to find out what they actually like to watch, what they like to listen to. When, if you really think about it, what actually makes a person a person has so little to do with what they watch, but we make it, or, or you ask them what their job is, like as though these are the ways to actually understand someone, just signals our strange understanding of the world and ourselves. So as I mentioned earlier, communication in this sphere is largely unidirectional, where you don't really get much of a say. You know, on Twitter, we have the semblance of being able to communicate with one another, but of course, certain voices are going to be amplified for everybody else, and certain interests are going to be amplified. Certainly now, where Twitter just seems to be a place that fosters a lot of violent rhetoric that targets um, so many minority populations. And we see a lot of this, we see a lot of this in the early Baudrillard, where coming after this text, just a few years after, three or four years after, with texts like for a critique of the political economy of the sign, Baudrillard makes the case, all, the, all these similar cases to say that within the media is this concerted effort to limit the possibility of communication, all while selling the idea of communication, like the dream of communication is being realized like on social media or through the television or through the radio or telephone or whatever. When in fact, for Baudrillard at the time and for De Ball, this actually signals the end of communication. So that's why it's, he identifies that it's unidirectional. So the spectacle's propensity, the spectacle's propensity for global expansion signals the proletarianization of the world as it reflects economic exploitation. So as the spectacle becomes adopted everywhere and we see a general globalization of values where people are watching shows from like, I like to think about this in terms of the English language just being spoken everywhere. And as though the, and so many people take this as testament to the fact that a language can in itself be superior when of course this is produced by years and years and years of colonial expansion and economic encroachment on so many people's different countries or so many different countries that this has become the case. But we see in this and the adoption of specific interests all across the world, what that means 
for the ball has is not necessarily the i guess sharing of values but really the steady proletarianization because we know that the spectacle is attached to modern forms of production which are exploitative we see then that uh, with this globalized spectacle is also globalized economic exploitation as people are connected can be more easily exploited and so it will emphasize objects that will encourage isolation because it's easier to exploit people when they're isolated so the spectacle is the system that will encourage people to be buying cars or telephones you know to keep them separate you know so they can uh, buy TVs so they don't actually have to go outside. They can just watch TV to know what's going on outside. Instead of looking outside to see what the weather is, you check your weather app instead of just opening the door and feeling it, what you know what it's actually like outside. Now, in the you know we certainly I think cars is such a good example. Like people will fight tooth and nail against adding like a bus line to a city, but they'll they'll have no problem with injecting the city with ten thousand new cars. They're going to take up way more space or adding lanes to a highway as a band-aid solution to the problem of traffic like of course we are thinking about things in a very uh myopic way very narrow focused way instead of actually looking at the big picture here and setting ourselves up for a better future one that will oppose uh our the you know the greedy tendencies of the capitalist economy and the capitalist economy itself i don't know why i'm trying to whitewash it so he has a very good I, he has a sentence that I think is really good about this, where he says that the spectacle reunites the separate. It brings separated people together, but reunites it as separate. So it brings people together, not necessarily in the form of a community, as we've historically understood it, and that has created our world, but instead we maintain the separation where people come together in communities and embrace in those communities their differences. They are communities comprised of individuals. And so the spectator never really feels at home because they're always exposed to the spectacle. They're always being displaced from themselves, even as they try to embrace the idea of their being the, their own individual with their own drives and desires. They are always having their identity displaced and being displaced onto and into the spectacle where he writes that the spectacle is the map of this new world, a map which exactly covers its territory, which is funny that he, he, he says this. And this is really like for anyone familiar with Baudillard's work, this is exactly what Baudillard criticizes in Simulacra and Simulation, where Baudillard says that this was the old idea about simulation, that, you know, uh, it's a map that perfectly covers the territory to the point that the map and the territory are in indistinguishable. Now, the ball sees that or hears this phrase and he's like, oh, let's just look underneath the map. We have to just return to reality. And Baudillard is like, no, 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 that's not actually how simulation works. Now, if you're interested, I just released a video the other day on this distinction between Baudillard and the ball. So you should go check that out. But really briefly, Baudillard's point is that it is actually in the simulation that the idea of the real world is created. And this real world, because it is a term that is just so charged with meaning and it is assumed to be real and true, that it actually encourages exploitation. It actually encourages oppression within it. The point for Baudillard is to oppose the very idea of reality, whereas for Debal, we have to go back to reality. So they're very 
They're very different, yet very much the same. And that puts us here into chapter two, the commodity as spectacle. So he starts out by saying that the spectacle is the absolute fulfillment of commodity fetishism, insofar as commodity fetishism saw objects take on a mystical quality. Now I have to explain what this is. Commodity fetishism comes from Marx and Freud, you know, there, there's, it attaches to so many different ideas, but what he's referring to here is the Marxist notion of commodity fetishism that suggests that within capitalism, objects take on a meaning that is separate from the conditions that produce them. So objects are, uh, all of the labor that goes into them is erased as they enter the market and they seem to take on a value, at least in the eyes of economists and political economists, a value that is separate from the conditions of labor and exploitation that created them. And so the objects take on a quality of their own and they become kind of lifelike. They take on this kind of organic quality in the, in the way that they change values and they mutate and develop. And so one of the ways I like to think about this is with the film Toy Story, uh, in which all of the toys have like the, these very difficult, these very complicated personalities. And all of the humans are like these caricature type figures. And what we see here is the steady objectification of people and the personification of objects. And this is part of what commodity fetishism is in that by erasing the labor that went into it, what capitalism does is it makes these objects seem like almost lifelike, like you have to fight for them. I mean, you fight for your objects, you hold your, you have to keep your toys with you from childhood because they, you know, you imbue them with almost human-like qualities and they are, they take on the kind of mystical quality in that way. So what he suggests then is that this, by saying that the spectacle is the absolute fulfillment of commodity fetishism, it's because all objects are homogenized, people, objects within the spectacle where you are not actually able to discern the real from the false, the object from the human, and so on. And so the spectacle will emphasize the uh, quantity over quality, and it will normalize a perpetual struggle for survival despite having attained the means to supply for all people, which is one of capitalism's funny, funny tricks in that we have really acquired so many amazing technologies yet uh, to provide for people quite easily, yet we have people who are starving on the streets in, you know, where, where capitalism is said to have, you know, really done its job in North America, in the United States, people are dying of hunger on the streets, which is, it's, it's horrible to think about it, especially when we know we have the means to provide for everyone. We absolutely do. It's just that we choose not to. We would rather bury cars that were never sold or destroy food that wasn't sold than give it to somebody who might need food. At the end of the day, at a shift at a restaurant, the food is thrown out. It's not it's in most restaurant, most restaurants. It's not taken to a food bank or given to people who need food. It's absurd when you think about it. It's absolutely absurd. Now, as objects become to be personified while humans are objectified, humans are reduced to the status of objects, essentially. They're, be, they're being used as like dice or cards or toys to be thrown around or used for anyone in power's benefit. As this happens, 
There needs to be new kinds of ways to understand people and grapple with their being reduced to the status of objects. So he suggests that this is why statisticians, um, epidemiologists, why uh, psychologists emerge, why sociologists emerge, why technics, uh, semiology, cybernetics all emerge to grapple with this transformation of humans into objects that can be studied, that can be understood, that can be um, grappled with as a homogenous phenomenon on the world. All humans can be understood similarly from these perspectives in order to encourage their regulation by regulating them with institutions or encouraging them to self-regulate themselves. So the spectacle is in part also, it mirrors money because money is meant to stand in for everything. Money is a universal equivalent that is, you know, prior to money being invented, you had to find common ground. Like, let's say somebody had a loaf of bread they wanted to sell and someone had a hammer. Like, maybe they could make that trade, but maybe the person with the hammer is like, actually, I want 10 loaves of bread over the course of 10 weeks or something. With the introduction of money, I think what we see actually is a facilitated way for exchange to occur. And the way that I, I say I think, because I don't really know the history of money all that well, for all, it's probably been around for a very, 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 very long time, even longer than we probably know. But in any case, it facilitates trade. It facilitates our ability to engage in trade. And the spectacle really builds off of this because it facilitates relations between people who have been reduced to the status of objects. And it satisfies needs, at least artificial pseudo needs in what in what people believe that they want and it in creating these uh, pseudo needs everything appears to be accessible to us when in fact it there's actually very narrow options afforded to us and allowed that we can actually have you know all options are reduced to our ability to buy things not to have political voice or political participation but instead by our ability to acquire the to acquire the newest iPhone. So in this paradigm, class struggle and the consciousness of desire and desire of consciousness oppose the spectacle and the world of commodities because they are actually about individuals fighting for their own lives and the lives of their communities, not about submitting to the spectacle and economic exploitation. And that puts us here into chapter three, which is gonna be the last chapter I'll cover here. And the next time we'll pick up from chapter four. So chapter three, unity and division within appearance. So differences in the spectacle are illusory. They're, they're totally made up. Differences are just fabricated within the spectacle. As everything is united in its status as spectacle, that is what makes them all really the same, really the same thing. So similarly, in the real world where differences are illusory, because all are united under capitalism, where everyone is their status of, as workers and people who own the means of production as the bourgeois, what we see is that differences between people are actually quite illusory. Now, this is certainly Marxist influence on De Ball here in his reducing all social relations to people's attachment to their economic situation, which is, there's some validity to this, of course, but it's something that I, I normally criticize. But in any case, this is what we have here. So 
dominant states use the spectacle to invade nations culturally that it hasn't yet uh, invaded economically. And so what it will do is try to encourage a cultural shift in certain places in order to encourage those people to then want those economic conditions, which is just a clever way to convince people to um, adopt their own exploitation. Now, the way that Debal is framing this, he's making it seem as though people are like, yes, we want to work in the factories. Yes, bring bring the factories to us uh, because they've seen some television shows or have embraced the logic of this of, of the the spectacle. When actually, I think what goes on is that capitalists will just buy up all the land, make it theirs according to papers that they've signed, and then they'll just force people off the land, force them into abject poverty, leaving them no choice other than to uh, go and work in a factory for pennies and then have to um, live a horrendous life like that to provide cheap products for people who live in uh, the richer nations. So the spectacle will, will present myriad options for people as to what to buy, what to watch, and so on. But in all of them, uh, Debal says that all we see is actually the glorification of the banal, not of the excellent or not of the really the most interesting. So like with celebrities who we exalt for only specializing in the seemingly lived, we love them because they do the things we want to do, and so we associate with them, and we put them up on a pedestal in order to live our lives through them. So the celebrity is not an individual because they identify with the general law of obedience. The very fact that the celebrity exists signals that they are not an individual because so many people associate with them. You could not do that if you were truly an individual. So one consequence of the many of this abundance and banality and submission to the rule, but you know, having an abundance provide an illusory, an illusion, a false form of choice, false form of options in the face of this, one consequence of abundance and banality is the effort to make it significant. And so there's a turn to false archaic oppositions for Debeau, including regionalisms and racisms, which serve to raise the vulgar hierarchic ranks of consumption to a preposterous ontological superiority. So what happens is that there are these false dichotomies, these false divisions created in order to justify certain people's view of themselves as being superior, as being excellent, standing above the banal, standing above the herd, while pushing others down. So there's this level of like a standard spectacle level. Of course, everyone is subsumed in the spectacle, but some people notably white Europeans, he has to be referring to here, white Europeans uh, just existing as, at this certain level. But because they view themselves as really they understand deep down that they are existing in this hollow world, in this hollow life, what they do is they put others down, they commit atrocities, they convince others by virtue of their race that they are inferior in order to lift themselves up to artificially take them out of the realm of the banal. Which, of course, like, this isn't, like, the only reason racism happens. But maybe there's something to it in this drive to stand out. Of course, there's economic reasons for racism. There's historical reasons that go way, way 
prior to this, like there's so many other things, but you know, it's one way of looking at it. The spectacle's effort to maintain the norm signals its confluence with police and policing as well. It doesn't want to rock the boat. It wants to keep things at a steady degree of equilibrium. And so it will employ administrative bodies, including the police and whatnot, to really make sure people are kept in line. And other administrative systems in order to make sure everyone's papers are in check. Or they're in order, I should say. So the spectacle is the epic poem of the struggle between commodities. And there's so many great lines in this text. Like, it's clear that the ball thought through everything really, uh, really, really uh, diligently. Now, as the capitalist system goes, what it tries to do is, any capitalist, any industry, what it tries to do is sell as much of its product as it can. But what that means is that we see the steady becoming world of objects, objects trying to become like the world, like the people they're selling to, which in turn means that the world becomes like commodities for the ball. So there is this kind of giving and taking here this becoming of one and becoming of the other, the world becoming a commodity and the commodities becoming part of the world. So no one is ever really satisfied in this mode of production and all differences are illusory because it's all artificial for De Ball. So he says here, the unreal unity proclaimed by the spectacle masks the class division, like the real division we find in our lives, on which the real unity of the capitalist mode of production rests. So you have a unity of the capitalist mode of production that relies upon the disunity of the people between, you know, within the working classes, within, between all the classes, that is then unified artificially in the spectacle to make people think that the disunity does not exist. So the spectacle offers abstract freedom from their lives uh, in the in the real world under capitalist alienation and exploitation. So this abstract freedom stands in for concrete freedom, real freedom. And yeah, that'll put us into chapter four, the proletariat as subject and as representation. But we're gonna get into that next time. Uh, if you like what I did, like, share, subscribe. Anything I got wrong, I'd love to hear about it. Anything I excluded, I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, if you have any questions, tell me what you think. Do you buy it? Are you on DeBall's side here? If you see any problems with what he said, I'd love to hear about it. And yeah, on that note, take care of yourselves.